Thanks, Todd. It's great to be back in chapel. And I really appreciated Emily's prayer this morning that sometimes when you don't have words is when you most need God to speak. Amen. So God, this morning, we just ask you to speak to us. Lord, the waves that Todd mentioned of grief or pain, processing, are going to hit each of us in different ways at different times. And so, God, we ask for grace in this moment. Lord, for your Holy Spirit to meet each of us where we're at and where we need you most in our life, in our thoughts, in our understandings this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was preparing last week, I I had planned a little activity to start chapel out this morning, and I think in light of remembering and honoring Micah's life, it feels even more fitting. But in our situation, our society, the culture in which we live today, we are facing more noise and distraction and stimulation from the world around us than ever before. And what we're finding is that sometimes as individuals and as a society, we're almost losing our ability to pause and to be silent and to reflect. And I'm going to talk about why that is a potential obstacle to us being the godly people, living the godly lives that God wants us to lead, as well as being godly leaders. But to start, I want us to just, if you would be bear with me, do something that is increasingly difficult for us to do today. And that's to actually pause and be still and be silent. Do you think you can do it for 60 seconds? We're going to try. Okay. So if you have your phone, a book, a notebook, close it, set it aside just for 60 seconds. I want us to just be still, be quiet, listen to what God might say to us. Think about what we're thinking or feeling and just be for 60 seconds, okay? You ready? If someone next to you starts to twitch or snore, just poke them, okay? (laughs) Okay, if you need to close your eyes, you can. Otherwise, I'll tell us when the 60 seconds is done. Okay, you made it. So some of you, that might have felt like a really long minute. For some of you, are like, can we just do that for the rest of chapel, right? (laughs) Here's what I want you to do. For just 30 seconds, I want you to turn to one or two people next to you and tell them how you respond to silence and stillness. Fidgety, anxious, excited, fall asleep, turn. Talk for just 30 seconds.
Okay. So some of you had to get some more words out right after. <laughs> How many of you get a little anxious and antsy when it's quiet, if you're honest? Oh, no one wants to be honest. Oh, a few honest people. Okay. How many of you love silence? You could just sit in silence for hours. Okay. Awesome. So one of the challenges we face today is that the world that we live in today is dramatically different than the world as it existed just 10 or 15 years ago. There are so many factors that are affecting this. One is the fact that we are living through the most significant cultural shift in the history of our country, where moral values, the ways we interact, communicate, view things, are completely shifting. Okay, all you have to do is open your news feed or your social media feed and you see the chaos and tension that that's creating, right? Okay? The other thing is that we're seeing things like globalization and new technologies that are facilitating communication and interactions in completely new and unprecedented ways. Do you realize that the iPhone came out in 2007? So just in 13 years, how much has changed? And the problem is, is that sometimes we're still trying to lead and live based on methods that worked 20 years ago, right? but we're in a completely new world. Now, it doesn't mean that the truth and wisdom and principles of 20 years ago are not relevant for today, but the way that we live and engage with what God is doing sometimes has to look different today. So, fortunately, we're not the first group of people to navigate a significant change. So I want to go today to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, and we're going to look at the life of Daniel because he is a young leader who had to figure out how to lead in a context that was unfamiliar even to his parents, his mentors, his professors. I'm one of them, right? And in this new context, everyone had to figure out together what did it mean to live a godly life and be a godly leader when we couldn't necessarily follow the patterns that we had known for generations previously. So, in case you haven't been taking in case you haven't taken Old Testament history yet, let's just do a quick recap of what's happening here in Daniel chapter 1 in Daniel's life, okay? So the kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon had kind of been in its golden era and then after King Solomon the kingdom divided into two, you had the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay? Don't fall asleep on me. I'm almost through the history, okay? <laughs> okay, you have the two kingdoms. Both of them followed God fell away from God, followed God, fell away from God. We, we remember this pattern, right? So eventually the northern kingdom was invaded by Assyria, and the kingdom of Judah remained, but they still continued to persist in this pattern. And in a season of falling away from God was when King Josiah discovered the law of God hidden in the temple, ignored, neglected, and brought it out and started teaching the people again what the law of God said. Now, this is critical for those of us who are, like myself, a mentor or teacher, because what King Josiah did was critical to Daniel's success. Giving, putting back into the culture an understanding of what was truth, so that Daniel, when he found himself in Babylon, knew how to thrive, okay? But still, the people fell away from God again. So then, Prophet Jeremiah, I feel for Jeremiah, First of all, the Lord tells him to tell people what they don't want to hear. That's always fun, right? And then they punish him for it. And he says, if you don't do what God says, bad things are going to happen. And then they didn't listen to God. They didn't listen to him. They punished him. And then the bad things happened. And Jeremiah had to live through the bad things. 
I was like, this is not fair. <laughs> okay, there's a reason there's a book Lamentations, right, by Jeremiah. Okay, but so Jeremiah starts telling the people, if you don't follow God, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to invade. And the people don't follow God. And so in chapter 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. Note, Daniel wrote this about himself. (laughs) Okay. Um, He was to uh, teach them the language and literature of of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Here's the thing. Babylon was a very different place from Judah. And all of a sudden, Daniel and his friends found themselves in Babylon, trying to figure out what does it mean to serve God when I, there are no priests in the temple in Jerusalem here. The temple has been destroyed. Instead, there are 50 temples to 50 different gods. There are foods being served every day on the king's table that I never saw in Judah, and the law of God says I cannot eat them. How do I navigate an indoctrination program for three years that's trying to convert me to be a Babylonian leader slash servant for the king Nebuchadnezzar? And so Daniel and his friends are having to figure out things that they were never taught, that were never modeled for them. And Daniel, in the first one, he, he, we see how he goes to the court official and negotiates the diet, right, that he knows he needs to follow. But even in that negotiation, was there anything that he learned? Did his mentors in Judah tell him, this is what you're going to face and this is how you should negotiate it? Was there anything probably in his home where they coached him on how to negotiate Babylonian diets in light of Jewish law? Probably not. Daniel had to time and time and time again discern what God was saying for him and those around him as godly young men and leaders in Babylon. He couldn't rely on Google or a poll on his social media feed, right, to give him the answer. He had to discern what God was saying. We see later in chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar decides to kill all the wise men in the land because they are not interpreting his dream, telling him his dream, and Daniel needs a revelation from God to save his life. Throughout the book of Daniel, we see him practicing the discipline of knowing God, seeking God, listening to God, discerning what God is saying for him in Babylon. And I feel like this is our challenge today as young leaders and as older leaders, as godly people of all ages. What is God asking us to do in this day, in this moment of history with unprecedented change, where even out there, people are trying to figure out what does it even look like to move forward in this world? Guess what? God knows. 
And he's calling some of you in this room to be voices like Daniel, speaking to the kings, amen, of our day. But if, you, if we cannot hear the voice of God and discern what he is saying, we are going to be in trouble. Here's the thing. Our greatest challenge is not listening to the wrong thing or not wanting to listen to God. Our greatest challenge is the insidious, subtle distractions of life. The things that just lure us away take up our time until we realize we, aren't even, we don't even know what we're focusing on or what we're doing or why we're doing them. On average today, Americans send and receive text messages every 10 minutes they are awake. That means that the interruption to your train of thought every 10 minutes, that's not counting social media notifications, that's not counting calls, it's not counting emails, that's just text messages every 10 minutes. Our brains are exhausted because the constant interruption drains our mental capacity. A group of psychologists actually conducted experiments involving more than 700 people in which they put people in a room and they asked them at the beginning, would you like an electrical shock? What would you pay to not have an electrical shock? People were like, we will not, whatever we have to do to not be shocked, you know, to not experience pain. After six minutes, people of silence in a room, they put them in a room with nothing but silence, nothing to do, people started shocking themselves with an electric thing to distract themselves from the silence, right? Because we had become so accustomed to being stimulated that we couldn't just sit in silence. Another group of psychologists concluded that boredom is best described in terms of attention. A bored person just doesn't just have nothing to do, he or she wants to be stimulated, but is unable for whatever reason, to connect with his or her environment, okay? It means that they're bored and they don't know how to actually be with their thoughts, think, or engage with what's around them. Guys, if we don't know how to engage with God, we are not going to be able to discern what he is saying to us, what he's calling us to, what he's revealing to us. In today's culture, one of our challenges is that we have to develop some of this, these skills and disciplines that were more natural in the past. In the past, when they didn't, we didn't have phones in our pocket. I know, I'm, I'm ancient. But back when I, <laughs> you know, we, di- we didn't have so much distraction. Nowadays, I have to discipline myself so much more to create space and silence to focus on God, to reflect on him, to discern what he's saying. Carl Sandburg has a great quote. He says, time is what we spend our lives with. If we are not careful, we find others spending it for us. It is necessary now and then to go away and experience loneliness, to sit on a rock in the forest and to ask, who am I? Where have I been? Where am I going? If one is not careful, one allows the diversions and distractions of life, of, of life to take up one's time. The very stuff of life. As we think today about how to honor the memory of Micah and others that we've lost in our lives, one of the things that we can do is to live our own lives in a way that honors their memory. 
to spend the time that God has given each of us here on this earth, to not be distracted for half an hour with our social media feed when I actually sat down to read my Bible app, right? I've learned I have to read my Bible app in airplane mode so that the notifications, because otherwise I spend my life in the things that do not matter. It's not that those things are bad, but if we are going to be godly leaders today, we have to be able to discern what God is saying in an unprecedented moment in history. Amen? So this semester, I just want to challenge you as we start this new semester. How can you practice stillness, silence, reflection in a different way, in a better way? How can you position yourself to receive the revelation that you are going to need to be the godly person and the godly leader that God is calling you to be in this moment of history? I know that our time in chapel is up, so I'm going to ask if someone would come up to just play the piano. Um, I'm going to dismiss you. I'm I'm just going to ask that as you go, just do so quietly, because if there's some who want to just stay and have another moment of silence and reflection and just be, we're going to just maintain this area for silent reflection for a few more moments for those who choose to stay. Thank you, guys.